Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ culture and the church. Hey, welcome to the podcast. My name is Aaron, and I am joined in the Where We Land studio with my co-host, Stephen. Hi. And Laura. Hey, everyone. And once again, we're joined with our special guest, Miss Morgan McClure. What's up, guys? Hey, we are going to continue today our second part of God and Gender. So if you haven't listened to the first part, definitely stop right now and go back and listen to part one. But if you have listened to part one, we're so glad that you joined us again for the discussion, and we hope you stay tuned for the rest of the talk today. We'll see you there. Guys, it is a week later that we are releasing this episode, but for us, it has only been about five minutes. Yep. We were all sitting here talking about all these different types of food because we are so hungry. <laughs> it's literally eight o'clock at night. Actually, Stephen I has like yeah. a box of snacks sitting here, so, we're so like, I've been eating fruit snacks. We're like scavenging over to the corner, but I'm probably the only one who's not as hungry as you guys because I was saying how I got stuffed full of Afghan food again today, which was <sighs> that amazing. That sounds like awesome there i literally i tell everyone i know that afghan food is the best food in the entire world is it like a lot of pita bread do they do the big pita they, bread and like like they the make rice this stuff massive bread they eat lots of rice lots yeah. of chicken and the spices mm. it's just really the spices that make it you know lamb chicken rice wow dumplings. so is that every day when you're like doing your work that you get to eat like that I wish it was every day. <laughs> Sometimes a client will ask me to stay for like tea or something. And this okay. is a new client. So I'm building rapport. So it's whatever client you're with. If they want to bring you in and have hospitality. Technically, and do I don't know if that's part of my job description. Okay. But, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a bonus. Yeah, it's a bonus. You know, building relationships and getting to know my people. Yeah. So we're a little hungry, but that's okay. <laughs> We've, we've, we've had some nabs and we're just learning that that's a new term for some of us on that the podcast. Not, I, that was not a part of my vocabulary before Aaron Mansfield. Until, no, it's not yeah. an Aaron thing. This nabs is a, and RC. Yeah, this is a Cola. Southern thing. This is a Southern culture. But I'm like thing. further south than you guys and I didn't know oh, that. Oh yes, the nabs further south argument. If they're a further south, because <laughs> isn't it once you cross the Mason-Dixon line, you are in the south? Listen, Make you guys, my family from Georgia calls me a Yankee. So if that says anything, like they Georgia doesn't believe that Virginia's in the south. No, no, I'm a Yankee to them. And I can hear their point because I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was also, I thought, true south. And when I heard we were going to Virginia, I thought we were moving up north. What? Th- I'm serious. I From swear. Tennessee. I mean, it is northern than Th- Tennessee. But when we come up, I was like, whoa, southern Virginia is not at all like I thought it was. Yeah. No. It is very much more south. There's Nova and then there's the rest of us. Which is crazy because if you go like two hours further north in Virginia, you were truly in the north oh, yeah. at that time. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, but enough about geography. Today, <laughs> we're talking about God and gender. And um, before we jump in, literally on the last episode, we left you on a cliffhanger. A and it cliffy. was a painful cliffhanger, but we had no way uh, else to do it. So we just left you there. We're going to resolve our discussion from last week. And if you hadn't uh, listened to the first part of God and Gender... Would you really just pause this and go back and listen? Because I feel like if you don't do that, you will not get a right understanding of some of the things we're going to talk about on this episode. If you missed last episode, we are totally missing the foundation of where we're coming from for part two, which is truly where we're going to dive into a lot more of the cultural things today. And so if you miss the underpinning of it, you're definitely going to miss our 
point of discussion and you're probably going to pull things out from our discussion that could have been addressed in the first episode. So all that to say, hey, go back and listen and enjoy two uh, episodes in one day and you don't have to wait a whole week. Okay. Like the others. So, hey, let's just resolve where we were last time. And what we did on the podcast last time is we took some time to describe what does the Bible say when it talks about being created in the image of God? We uh, started with Genesis 1 verse 1, which we talked about is probably a very well-known verse, but it's probably also a super controversial verse today in our society as we think about God creating. And and that is so important because as we open up to the biblical story, it begins with our understanding of origins. It begins with our understanding of God that he is the infinite creator who has created his creation. And that in of itself is important when we're understanding our identity of what does it mean to be made in God's image. And so just a real you know, brief definition from last time, when we think about being made in God's image, we have what in mind? I don't know. I want you to share that quote that you had last time that was just like, it was so perfect. Was, the, was it from the that quote? book? Oh, oh, by Jeremy Treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Jeremy Treat wrote a book. It's entitled, I think it's Seek First the Kingdom of God, which honestly, I read a lot of books this year. That has been one of my favorites that I read because it is such an, a real down to earth understanding of who God is and how he relates in this world. And I think he described the kingdom of God like this. He said, it is God's dominion through God's people over God's place. It is God's dominion. It's who he is. He's the king. It's God's world. It's God's universe. I think about what an old uh, preacher, J. Vernon McGee, used to say years ago. He says, this is God's universe, and he does things his way. You may have a different way, but you don't have a universe. And so it's just like that whole understanding <laughs> that. that like, okay, this is God's world. This is God's <laughs> creation. This is God's dominion. So God's kingdom is God's reign through his people. It's what Genesis describes in verse 27 of chapter one, that God um, created man in his image after his likeness, after our likeness, I'm sorry, after our likeness and let them have dominion. And so, um, Who is that? Well, it's in verse 27. The Bible says he created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And so I think we talked a little bit last time on what the image of God was. We talked about the implications of that and what does that mean? And we described that, well, it's, I think Laura brought out a good point last time from the discussion that our sexuality uh, what were you saying about that? I thought that was really well, good. About, our genders yeah, 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 being genders, derived yeah. from the image of God yeah. and how both masculinity and femininity are both derived from God's own image. Right. And those um, genders are not necessarily something that I have while they are, but it is far much more who I am. Right. It's, it's an identity thing. So we talked about the essence of being made in the image of God. We described the function of that, that both men and women are to exercise dominion uh, in the world. And there are so many more similarities between those two genders than maybe there are differences. Yet, Stephen, as we talked about last time on the podcast, was really helpful in showing us how those differences are uh, present and how they exist. But uh, what, where we want to begin today is right where we left off last time. And that was kind of the unraveling 
of God's creation. Because at the end of chapter two of the book of Genesis, we read uh, something about mankind. And the Bible talks about how uh, men and women, Adam and Eve, were both naked and they were not ashamed. And so there was this like this perfection of what God had made. It was what the Bible describes in Genesis 1, that what all that God was had made was very good. And so we see this goodness of God in his creation. But when we turn the page to chapter 3 and the fall of man and their rebellion against God, their sin against God, instantly, not only do we see God giving out kind of the consequence of the curse, both to the man and the woman and the serpent. But as we read the whole Old Testament, you can just read of the unraveling, it seems, of creation and how the fall of man really had, in such a foundational way, altered the image of God in the world. And we said last time on the podcast that there are kind of three prominent uh, understandings of what did the fall of man do to the image of God. And just simply, let me give them to you. And then we're going to kind of unpack them. Right. So the first one was there's kind of the, uh, there is a camp of people that would say, well, at the fall of man, the image of God in the earth remained unchanged. Uh, nothing, nothing happened to that. Some would say that the image of God in the earth was lost completely. Um, and then thirdly, there would be a group that would say, no, it was marred and distorted but it is not completely lost. So Morgan, as we think about the first one there that some would say, Hey, when we think about the fall of man in the world, um, the image of God in the earth remained unchanged. Mm -hmm. Who would say that? Yeah. So this is really, um, becoming a more popular idea, especially in what is known as the affirming church in regards to issues of gender and sexuality. So with the image of God remaining unchanged, this is an idea that our our image bearing is still in the garden state where there's that that perfect you know um security and and you know like the the penultimate point of this that i think is where this part goes kind of wrong um this is from this is from an affirming church in in nashville tennessee they say the good news is that you are inherently united with god and that is the massive thing that did change when the fall of man came with our image bearing. That unity with God is a huge aspect of, of who we are as image bearers. But when sin came, that unity was broken. So whereas people who say the image remained unchanged, we are still united with God no matter who we are, what we believe. That I would propose as false. Right. Right. It seems very self-focused to like very focused much. on me, 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 me when the Bible is actually focused on God, 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 God. So it seems kind of counterintuitive to scripture. Right. So there is that understanding of it. But then secondly, there would be maybe a view that the image of God was lost completely. Right. And I, I just don't see how the, how you can see that in the Bible. I mean, we still reflect God in so many ways. And you know what? I don't know what you guys think about this, but when I look at the world and i see what you would call good people we've all heard people say like oh my neighbor is such a great guy and he's so good and he does all these good things or she's so nice i mean she's not a believer but she's she's just such a good person mm -hmm. and in my mind i see that anything that you see that's good in a person um any like good works that come out of someone who isn't a believer i think that that is because they're still reflecting the image of god yes yeah, oh, certainly sure. and so i don't agree with the idea that it that are that the image of god was lost completely i think you can still mm. see it even which is what gives each humans just 
value. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whether Even they're lost who are not or saved, or yeah. have been saved, they still, like they still are reflect valuable. the image yeah, of God. Yeah, because we were talking about that before we started recording yeah. today, and it was just like, okay, if the image of God was completely lost, then that means people aren't valuable until right. they come to the faith. That that right. doesn't seem like the character of God at well, all. <laughs> and I think where that view goes wrong is the understanding of Genesis five. Uh, in Genesis five, verse three, um, it talks about. Adam fathering a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And so I think where that goes is they, they, they try to contrast like Genesis five with Genesis one and saying, well, like, just like Adam was made, made in the image of God. Now, Seth was not made in the image of God. He was made in the image of Adam. And I think that, I think that like what you guys are saying, uh, I think it takes us in a wrong direction. I think it definitely uh, devalues um, humanity and 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 what we see and and like what Laura's saying like to be able to see things that are just purely amazing or truly mm-hmm. good or beautiful like anything that is good and beautiful is simply a reflection of who God is like mm-hmm. that would be my understanding of it and so um i think for me i would fall under the third camp that uh the the fall of man was something that um con- concerning the image of God in the earth marred it uh, further distorted it, um, broke it. You know, like you think about how that works out. I, I just think we look at every day of our life, and I think if we're really honest, we can see the fallout of mm-hmm. the fall of man, like how great that fall really was. So let me ask you this then. So then where do we find or or how then does a person express their identity? Like as we as we're as we think about kind of the unraveling of of the image of God in the earth and then we 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 referenced this last time but uh Romans 1, do we want to go to Romans 1 now or do we want to wait on that? Uh sure. Yeah, we can go to Romans 1. Well, okay. Go ahead. Yeah, so um this understanding of how where we look for and how we express our identity when the fall of man happened and, and what Aaron was saying about that distorted image of God, what it did was taking us from our, our God focused perspective of our identity. Right. So in Romans one, can I read that for us so we can ahead. set the context? Yeah, right. Take so it Romans away. one verse 18 says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So Romans 1 is already kind of getting us to to, to lift our gaze and look back to creation in the things that have been made. And the Bible says, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And I'm not going to take the time there, but you read the rest of Romans 1 and you just see the just the unraveling of the image of God in the earth and what was in Genesis 1 and 2, just this pure perfection of what is very good. Now you see all of the things in our life being distorted by sin, our desires, our ambitions, all of those things are now just completely marred. Because before the fall, our identity came, Adam and Eve's identity came from knowing who they were because God had created them. And it was all wrapped up in who God was, right? They understood who they were because they knew who God was. Mm. But post-fall, our gaze shifted 
to self and then to one another to try to figure out who we were. And then we started projecting all the bad things that came out of the fall onto God. So not only did we not know who we were, now we don't know who God is because we're projecting all of these things in our lived experience that aren't true of God. And thus you're presented with a constant searching for identity. Right. Um, And this is not a new thing. I think sometimes we think this is a new thing. This is not a new thing. This is centuries and centuries old. People have always searched for an identity or a cause Mm -hmm. to come behind. And why is that? Well, it goes back to this root principle that Morgan just brought out. They don't, people don't understand who God is unless they don't understand who they are biblically. And thus they have no purpose. Sometimes they yeah. have no identity or there's confusion That's a big sometimes part of it. That's a big about part of it. their identity. Even if they have one, there's confusion about it and misunderstanding. And, mm-hmm. and But what Romans one does and what Paul is unpacking is he shows how all of this is rooted in our understanding of God. That's why we're rooting so much of what we're talking about today in our previous episode on the image of God, because he actually continues in verse 26. He says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those who are con with those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, <clears throat> men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And I just find what's interesting there is the connection between the word shameless acts and then what was said in Genesis 2, that they were naked, but they were not ashamed. So you see like perfection of no shame. And now you see in Romans 1, all of these dishonorable passions as Paul described it. And he says with it is now the shameless act, but yet it's, it's because of a uh, really a, a conscience that has been seared in that way. So um, where, where do we go from here? Like help, help Morgan set the stage for where we want to take the rest of our episode today. Right. So with this loss of understanding identity, w- one of the most crucial aspects to our identity is gender, right? I mean, that's one of the first things you're asked on any sort of application, <laughs> you know, check yes or no, but now you're seeing all kinds of other boxes, New right? Boxes and forms. Yeah. New boxes. Generally it's yes, no. It's I prefer not, to, prefer say. To, not to say. I've seen that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the big, yeah so whereas uh, and i'm just gonna try to like probably keep contrasting this like po- pre-fall post-fall so you know before the fall it was very clear and and how we see this principle that the lord laid out for gender it was fixed it was something that he designed and it was called very good so there was only two male and female right and so that is something that hasn't changed you know coming from our faith base and again if you're hearing this and you, and you disagree with us this is this is where our principles are rooted in. Um, so male and female, but then after the fall and, and in today's world, we just see this lack of security in that number one, because we have exchanged the truths, the truth of God and the truths of God for a lie, like it says in Romans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we lost that, that fixed nature of gender and it's become this fluid gender spectrum where we're searching and, and we're being able to say what was once biological and fixed we now see it oh well it's it's less objective and it's more subjective so i would ask the question then what has changed what has changed in our understanding is it is it our understanding of biology that has created that shift in the spectrum but like what has created an understanding pretty much i mean i mean i know there's different places in church history or even in history you could look at to certain things but for a lot of centuries like to look back and to see 
like this whole understanding of gender being something that's fixed. And then now in the 21st century, not even around the world, but specifically in like Western culture, primarily, we see it being something so much more fluid. Well, in my opinion, it, it boils down to a question of authority. Huh. On whose authority are we deciding that what is biological is not objective, but subjective, you know, and that it really depends as a, as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus, my authority is scripture and what Christ has said and what God did in creation. But out, outside of that authority, I have the power to decide whatever, you know? Right. So I think it, a lot of our individualism of our Western culture has led to this. I, I, I know, I mean, cause this is a real, this is a real rubber meets the road issue today. Uh, First, for some people who are really struggling through their identity of where they're at. But I think even within the church and within like denominations, like this whole discussion today has like fractured entire denominations regarding this issue. And it's what is interesting to me is it's like primarily in the West, like mm. when, when, when other denominations, uh, similar denominations, uh, like heard about some of the things that were happening within some of the mainstream denominations of the United States, they're like, whoa, 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 this is not at all like how we've embraced that in our part of the world, which I think just shows me just how much relativism and individualism has crept its way into the church today because we have moved away from the biological and the objective much more to the psychological and the subjective, Mm -hmm. would you say, Morgan? Oh, for sure. And um, like even just listening to the way that the gender definition itself has changed. And I feel like this is where we need to define our terms a little bit. So, Laura, I have here um, the definition for gender. Would you read that for us? This comes straight out of Oxford. Sure. It says either of the two sexes, male and female, especially when considered with reference to social and cultural differences rather than biological ones. The term is Mm. also used more broadly to denote a range of identities that do not correspond to established ideals of male and female. Wow, that was a lot, but it was a good definition, maybe. No, it was an excellent. Good. I mean, it's it's the definition. It's a good that definition. <laughs> it is Oxford. It doesn't well, get more defined than that. Yeah, it's Morgan's a, like no dyt. That is as good as it gets. Therapy. There is no more. I have laid based it. on what a definition is. A definition of is how a word is used. So thus, mm-hmm. yes, it is a good definition. Now, good, is yeah. it a biblical definition? As we have looked in Scripture at what we just looked at, probably not going to line up with a biblical definition. But as far as how a term is used, yes, that is but a good. Listen to the keynotes in yeah, it, right? Unpack that. Social and cultural differences rather than biological ones, Mm. right? Mm. And then also used more broadly to denote a range of identities that do not correspond with established ideas of male and female. Which I think we need to pause right here because I think there is a little bit of a generational gap in how some of this is understood. I mean, it kind of surprised me even before the podcast as we were talking about it. And it's like, I don't think Laura and I are that old, but I feel (laughs) like we're a little bit more out of touch with like the younger generation of how they viewed this today because i think there might be some people who listen to the podcast and they're you know older in life and they're like well wait a minute how, how are we even how are we even discussing this point right here but i think it's important to note that because there is a younger generation today that has embraced this type of a gener- definition of gender and where is that coming from morgan i mean where do you see like this being the way that we define gender rather than historically maybe we have 
Um, well, I just ask you that because you're the youngest one on the podcast. Right, I know. Well, I mean, and I'm and I'm the only one who still has a a a sibling who's in grade school, right? (laughs) You're the only one that's cultured, right? (laughs) That's good. Cultured. So, um, but anyway, so uh, you see this a lot um, from just the emerging culture in in this social sphere where um, gender questioning, gender queer, the gender spectrum is so much more talked about. Look at the curriculum in public schools for health classes and even in the broader context of like the World Health Organization or big organizations like the UN put out training Hmm. specifically on gender to get you to back away from those traditionally held male and female views. And and it has opened it up to this broad swath of identities across the spectrum. Yeah. Um, In in a way, you could say that education has poured gasoline onto a fire of questions that were already there. Yeah, that's Um, good. Because the question has been there all along. Um, Questions of identity, who am I, how do I fit? Um, And those are real questions, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's something to bring out for some of our older generational listeners is to understand that there are some people who don't understand how they fit. And the questions that they're asking are real questions in their world and in their life. They don't fit. They don't feel like they fit into the model of what a traditional male would be or a traditional female would be. And so they're asking these questions of who am I and why don't I fit? Why don't I feel that way? Why don't I look that way? Why don't I do that? And so there's a questioning of identity. And then what has happened much in a sense is the educational world has poured gasoline into that a lot and our culture has poured into that. And it happens even now to where you read stories of kids as young as third grade, second grade, fourth grade, getting taught in school to question, are you a boy or are you a girl? And the thing is third and fourth graders don't have any idea of who they are or what they want. And so like we're automatically confronting children at a vulnerable age with questions and we're teaching them to question everything. And that, that just grows into something. So that's the older they get, but there are some valid questions that do contribute to this. Um, And I think it's important to note that because you might be listening to this podcast right now and you've asked some of those questions and you don't understand how do I fit um, or where do I fit or why do I fit? <laughs> and um, I'm here to say that like those are valid questions. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes though, the way that our culture has wanted to answer them has veered away from the Bible. And that's why we might see well, these has. contrast mm-hmm. of definitions. Yeah. I think we look at, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, so much of a rejection, specifically in America, of the Bible and of the kind of core understanding, like I, I would say before easily in the 1970s and 80s, there was a very much held common understanding about kind of the way the world is. And uh, many people who wouldn't even be believers would hold to some form of creation or an understanding that this world was made by design with purpose. And with a rejection of God in our society today has come a rejection of his design 
and it's and it's and it's we've rejected the image of God, like what that means. So Romans one is purely the normal fallout of what you should expect when uh, when we're operating outside of living within God's design. So how then has you know it's it's easy to understand maybe this in terms of people that have rejected the Bible, like why they. Um, would hold to some of these things. But, but but what troubles me is the fact that we see so much of this actually finding its way within the church today. Uh, people who would hold to, I mean, historically held mm-hmm. uh, to some of these core doctrines regarding scripture, regarding the nature of God, the uh, humanity. And yet now there's such a distortion of even that within the church today. So how is that coming into the church? Yeah, so we really see this this ideology creep from outside from the culture into the church when we start to you brought out history when we distance ourselves from what the Bible is and what it means for us today in this modern age because if you look at some of the doctrines of what we we would call now affirming churches okay. who on issues of, you know, gender identity they're open to everything and not only open but they celebrate and affirm all these things if you look in in the way that they discuss the bible they're regarded as ancient texts you know with lots of cultural nuances that don't make sense anymore in this modern world right right and so when you when you start to I mean, that's where you can get to the root of falling apart, distancing yourself from Scripture and making it seem like, you know, it's just not applicable anymore. So where would be some of the ways then that the affirming church would take the understanding of uh, Genesis 1 and 2? Like, where, where where do they take that? Yeah, so I mean, one especially, I mean, you go back to creation, uh, That's that's just like even that is a debatable topic that's not understood as like a foundational a foundational truth it wouldn't anymore. be whole, it wouldn't be held as a which core what tenet. i keep thinking of when you're talking is this is it, it it reminds me of genesis 3 the original question that the serpent asked did god really say Ooh, mm. yeah. and i mean none of this is new we find this like we've mentioned church history in, right. in, in a past it's just episode wrapped it's in just wrapped packaging. in different packages so yeah. Um, the question really is, did God really say? And if he did say it, did he say it to me? Yeah. Huh, or, or did he say it in that way? I know I've talked to people before that mm-hmm. have argued from a point of language, which is a very blurry argument because <laughs> they have to change a lot of rules in order to get there. But they would argue, well, that word meant that in that context, mm-hmm. but now it means something different. Well, no, <laughs> it meant that and it still means that. Um, but Um, people would sometimes argue from language and it really comes down to the fact of the issue of questioning things like gender from the Bible and other things. It doesn't start there. It doesn't. It starts with little things creeping in like individualism, relativism, and the idea that there is not objective truth or that, like you said, Laura, God didn't say this. And then it just snowballs. And then we see all of this. We see everything else pop up. And then all of a sudden we look at the Bible and we compare it to the church, big C church. And Mm -hmm. we're like, why is there difference here? And the Bible is either, and you can go back and listen to some of our episodes because we've dealt with this before, but the Bible is either objectively true or it's objectively not. The claims that it makes are so wild and outlandish that they either are true or they're not. And I'm of the, of the camp and where I land is, if it's not true, 
then all of it's not true in peace. <laughs> and if it is true, then I'm in. Because it's such an outlandish, like the Bible makes such outlandish claims that I can't be a part of 10% of the Bible and 90% well, of me. <laughs> exactly. What do we call it? We call it God's word. So if yeah. it's, if, if it, it either is God's word or it isn't, there's, there is no in between in that. And I think that's where it's troubling specifically within the affirming church, because it's, it seems much to me kind of a choosing of what passages we want to embrace and then what passages we want to completely redefine. Yeah. And if you look at, um, there are eight points of progressive Christianity, which most, if not all, affirming churches would fall under this. Number five says that we find grace in the search for understanding and believe there is more value in questioning than in absolutes. Hmm. And so that just really solidifies that there's really no grounding and no foundation that can be fully rested in because all paths lead to God. Right. In I mean, this even that belief. statement, there's yeah. more value in questioning than in absolutes. And that's terrifying to me because then uh, how will we ever know who we are if there is not someone who can tell us definitively who we are and, and right. what it all means, you know? Because right. we would we would hold to the opinion that God gave us his identity, that it was something that we received as part of his creation, like being made in the image of God. We're receiving his identity. It's nothing that we have to go find for ourselves or achieve for ourselves. So can we just pause a moment? Because you, you have mentioned the Affirming Church a number of times, and I think for maybe some of our listeners that are not as familiar with that term, would probably say, hey, that doesn't sound very bad. Like uh, an affirming church sounds much better than a disaffirming church, like uh, even in the word of it. So like what what would be some things that affirming churches hold to and how do we see that really contrary to scripture? Right. So if there's there's this resource <clears throat> if you're if you're curious about doing your research, um, it's called churchclarity.org and they have this this basically this uh spectrum of how to tell if a church is affirming of LGBTQ um, identities and, and women in leadership is really their two camps. So how they say a church is affirming, um, they say in the survey, we ask if churches will hire, marry, and ordain or recommend for ordination all who identify as LGBTQIA+, if women can preach, lead, and govern, how often women and or non-binary preach and if they make up at least 50% of the church's leadership team. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So it's a pretty expansive list of, of the things that would qualify an affirming church. And like I said, this is a little bit of a, of a spectrum. So, you know, a lot of churches don't speak on this at all on their websites and their, in their, in their documents, their church doctrines. Um, so those would be undisclosed all the way to, um, you know, unclear whether they're egalitarian or yeah. anything like that. Which I think is one, we brought this up last time on the discussion, but I think it is one of those doctrinal questions today that the church is not answering, like mm -hmm. by and large, like we. We are we we know that the discussion exists, but it's too sad that too often the church is reactionary to culture rather than leading in uh, truth. And um, I, I know, Laura, when you think about all that and just kind of the tendency that the church can react to things rather than lead in them well, uh, what 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 would you say to that? Well, the reactionary attitude really does make people feel unwelcome to ask questions regarding their identity. Okay. And I think that if someone doesn't know how these are, I think we, Morgan talked about this, that, that, I mean, like our identity, it, it's, I know this sounds really basic, but it really is who we are. And if you're questioning it, I think the church needs to be a safe place to do that. Huh. 
Um, and and when we react to our culture, usually the reaction is out of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but the church does a they react out of fear in another way, right? I mean, I think about Jude saying, have mercy on those who doubt. Right. And yeah. in the very next phrase, he says, we'll show mercy by snatching them out of the fire. And he's actually right. talking about two different people. Mm-hmm. He's talking about somebody in the first, I believe, who would profess to be a Christian. And there are some crises in their life. There's some things, some unknown questions, and they're really struggling with them. And they're wrestling through them. And and I think Jude is recognizing that. He says, hey, listen, the church of God ought to be the safe haven for people that mm-hmm. feel broken, that feel, because we are, mm-hmm, you know, right. wrestling through some of these true, deep questions. And he says, we're to show mercy to those type of people. And then there's other people that have completely rejected God. They've gone full-blown into living a life contrary to God. And they're literally in the fire. And, mm-hmm. and Jude says, hey, those people, you need to snatch, like, out of the fire because um, that there's eternity on the line, right? Yeah. So what maybe would be some ways that the church today could do a better job in showing mercy to people who doubt? I there's There doesn't seem to be quite a lot of room. I, I think there's a concern. I, I'll just speak to this because as a pastor, I feel like there probably is like a real concern that when we hear that somebody's doubting or like struggling in the faith, it's like, oh no, oh no, like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's panic. like the panic mode, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, but, but no, that's not true because we grow by asking questions. We, we yeah. grow deeper in our understanding of God by really kind of putting our feet to the fire as it were. Questions are valuable. They yeah. are. So where are, so, I mean, we all could probably speak to this a little bit. But if we just took a few minutes and thought about this one topic, what could be some ways that the church could really show mercy uh, to those who are doubting? I think um, it, it first comes with not pushing the people who are doubting into the fire, <laughs> because I feel like yeah. we do. It's yeah. it's it's so sad um, how. Uh, and I'm sure I've even done it um, in my past in the way that I've engaged in discussions with people. I'm so adamant about defending what I know to be true that I'm not hearing the hurt and the confusion in the person who's trying to speak with me because yeah. they're probably speaking with me because they know I, I have some element of truth. And instead of you know sharing it with them and, and being merciful to them in their hour of struggle and distress, I'm beating them over the head with it, mm. you know, so, and, and it's uncomfortable to walk with those who are doubting because it causes you to question even, you know, the validity of your own belief. But I feel like if number one, we can be prepared um, by grounding yourself and really ask the questions yourself, go back to scripture, you know, and ask the same questions uh, people are asking and find out why it is you believe um, what you believe about it in regards to what the Lord has said about identity and sexuality. And then I think even one of the progressive points of Christianity like puts us to shame. Number four, above the one I read earlier, it says, know that the way we behave towards one another is the fullest expression of what we believe. Mm. And I feel like in in the church's recent um, track record, what we, we have not behaved um, that expresses our behavior has not been the fullest expression of what we believe when it comes to these issues. Um, and we need more mercy and less shoving into fire. Why is that? I mean, why do you think people feel that? Why do they feel that? Or, or why, why is that important? The, yeah, no, no, no. Why, in, why is that the response? Well, it's important to, to listen to, 
to walk with them through their doubts, like you said, Morgan. And I think it goes back to our previous episode hmm. because they're made in the image of God. Yeah. They're worth listening to. Right. They're worth walking through this with them. They're worth diving into scripture together with because they're made in the image of God too. Right. And they equally share uh, value yes. and worth and all those things. So it is good. What What are some other ways that the church could help create an atmosphere of showing mercy to those who doubt? Well, I think it's being honest with um, where things are at. Um, you know, I think sometimes the church views this as like, well, you know, bless God, this will never affect us, you know? Um, and it's, it's like, well, no, people in your congregation, there's probably somebody who is either questioning how they fit with what their identity is. Um, maybe even, maybe it's not a necessarily a, um, their sexuality gender issue, but like how they will use their sexuality and whether they might be bisexual or something like that. And there's probably questioning going on in your congregation. I pulled up a interesting poll by Gallup that was done in 2020. And, um, (coughs) it stated that, uh, 5.6 of the U S adults identify as LGBT. And then over 7.6% were unwilling to answer. And so mm-hmm. it was just based on those two figures, you add them together. Cause typically there, the 7% probably represents some people who are confused or just unwilling to answer. They don't want to give into the heterosexual norms. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that number is somewhere around 39 million people in the greater United States, probably closer to 40. So chances are, you know, somebody or you will encounter someone who is questioning And I think it's being ready with grace and seasoned with truth. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I switched that because normally we say ready with truth, seasoned with grace. And the reason I mean that is you need to be so filled with grace that you're just ready to go. Mm -hmm. But you need to be, truth needs to be so a part of your approach that it just flows out when you approach this subject. You know, I've kind of had some interactions with people who would be a part of the LGBT community uh, just as a student's pastor, because this is a very common thing in our modern uh, day. And I think the number one lesson I've learned is that it does not, um, there's a lot of different sides to the discussion, (laughs) first of all. And just because you might be questioning does not mean that you would fall into one of the categories of the LGBT community. You might just be um, questioning, confused, doubting, who knows? Um, like you could be, there's so many different angles to it, but I have found whenever I talk with somebody about this, I need to be a lot less concerned about the fact of whether they are part of the LGBT community. I need to be more concerned about whether they know Jesus. Mm. And, um, that sounds really counterintuitive to some of our theological foundations that we've learned. And it also might rub up against somebody who is from that community to hear me say that. But the reason I say that is, is because yes, the LGBT questions and the gender questions and all these things that we have brought up in this, uh, these episodes, how they relate to the Bible and what the Bible says about them. They are biblical issues, but a person who, who has been created by God, their greatest need is to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and how the lining up of gender and all those other things will only flow out of the Bible into their life. 
if they know Jesus. And so it's one of those things like I can talk to somebody who disagrees with me for hours and trust me, it's happened before, you know, where we'll talk about what they believe in and what I believe. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. This is what I believe and This is why. But the Bible will not necessarily, the biblical perspective that we've talked about of gender will not line up with our understandings unless we truly are willing to allow it and we are willing to accept the Bible and the person of Jesus and what he's done for us. And I think it's important to understand that somebody who might be a part of the LGBT community, they are struggling with something just like people in church struggle with things. Mm -hmm. And I think in church, we, we are very quick to say, you know, well, like this is the worst thing that could ever happen in a person's life. And I'm sorry, but I would hold up and say, you know, just because so-and-so is questioning their gender or just because so-and-so is struggling with how they feel about how they're going to use their sexuality in that way, that doesn't excuse so-and-so who's sitting three rows down from that person who is struggling with lust in their heart Mm -hmm. uh, of the heterosexual variety. Um, I'll never forget, and this is the last thing I'll have to say about this and then I'll move on. But I'll never forget um, a story that a friend of mine, Jonathan Archer, told me. Uh, he was witnessing to a lady on a, on a, uh, I think it was a subway or a bus one time, and he sat down beside her and he started talking to her about Jesus. And she said, you're not going to want to talk to me. Just keep on moving. And he said, well, why don't I want to talk to you? And she said, well, I can't remember if she referred to herself as a lesbian, gay or um, transgender, but it was one of those three. And she said, I'm, I'm this you don't want to talk to me because I've talked to a bunch of Christians and it doesn't matter. And he said, well, we're more in common than you think we are. And she said, what? And like, she just, just like, just stop talking to me. And he was like, well, we both like girls. <laughs> and, and so his illustration was that his, his illustration is there is commonality here. And yes, there's disagreement. And yes, the Bible states some things very clearly. However, there is commonality that we can have as we yeah. seek answers yeah. to questions. Because at the end of the day, we all are broken people who are reaping the fruits of living in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Bible is so clear. Like in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul just makes such a straight statement. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous, and that's exactly what Paul's describing in Romans 1, is a person that's living uh, contrary to what righteousness looks like. He says, do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? And do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, it's that clear. Mm-hmm. But here's the great news, and here's the gospel news. And such were some of you. Yeah. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so the whole point of what Paul is making there about the gospel is that when the gospel does change the life of a person, uh, there there might be some true moments where a person is struggling with their desires. They're struggling in, in temptation. They're, they are struggling um, through their understanding of some of these things. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is a question that Stephen was asking that none of those people, and, and we cannot in our day where this is becoming more and more prevalent, have a tendency to move a certain person into a different place mm-hmm. as that they are beyond the reach of God's mercy and grace, because that's not true. Because 
the Bible just levels everything. The sexually immoral, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, drunkards, revilers. I mean, all of those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the good news is that such were some of you. And so when a person comes to know Christ as their savior, that is marked by a new life of Christ. It is uh, the old man dies and the new man lives. And so we, those who have been born again, who have embraced Christ's life now walk a life of repentance and faith. And, you know, sometimes I've heard the question, well, well, but think about, you know, other people in the church and do they not battle sin? Certainly they do. And, and, and the point is not our people in the church still sinful. We all sin and we all fall short of God's grace and mercy. And that's why we need his mercy and forgiveness. But there is a lifestyle that should be marked by repentance and faith. And so to continue in any of these sins continually, habitually, with any with complete disregard for God and what it means to be born again and to be made in his image um, would, would really reveal the question of do they really know God in the first place, right? But that's in reference to like a lifestyle sure, of living certainly. in sin. Certainly. I do think it's important to say that um, just because somebody is tempted – yeah. Does not yeah. mean that they are in sin. Yes. So yeah. someone who is um, attracted to their to their own gender, hmm. um, that just because they have that temptation, does not mean they are sinning. Yeah. There is a there. Go ahead, right. Stephen. Yes. You've got a thought here. Um, same sex attraction mm-hmm. versus like active same sex. Um, it uh, not attraction, but I think it's like following after that desire, for instance. And there is a there is a very clear delineation. So mm-hmm. adultery is also mentioned in the passage yeah. that um, yeah. Aaron read. Yeah. And this would be the same to me as if a married woman feels attraction for a married man, like she's tempted to lust after somebody else's husband. And I mean, it's still, it's listed in the same passage. Just because she's tempted to do that doesn't mean she has to act on it. Right. Like we are not held accountable for the temptations that we that that come our way. Certainly, uh, but it's what we yield to. It's what we yield in the to. Temptation. Yes, yeah. and so I think a lot of times we like to focus in on homosexuality here, and clearly it is a sin. God says it is, but there's a whole lot of other things listed here. Exactly, that's and the point we, I was yeah, saying. Yeah, like, and yeah. we're and just because somebody is tempted doesn't mean they are sinning. Mm-hmm. Certainly not. And, and I think and and a. Something you said at the very tail end that I think is a huge part of this issue is, is you know, knowing who God is. And I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in what we are like, you know, gripping the truth so hard, but we, f- we forget like, you know, who the Lord is and he desires mercy and his heart is for all to come to repentance and that none should sure. perish. And so sometimes I think one way, one difficulty in, in trying to bridge this gap and have this conversation in this day and age is that, you know, we're, we're coming in at the assumption that everybody under has a right understanding of God yet um, people who, in, who struggle in all sorts of sins usually are believing in a false God. They don't want to have anything. Right. They don't want to have anything to do with a God who's judgmental right. and, and condemning and constantly sending people to hell when really like that's all it's false, you know? So trying to live out and display the God who we say we believe in and how he has changed us should be a life marked with radical love for people and, right. and sacrificing and, and, and- 
it just looks so much different. And when we have conversations to say, oh, I don't believe in that God either. This is the God that I believe right. in. Can I tell you about him? Right, because you see Jesus coming on the scene and he proclaims the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he's calling people to repentance. It was a gospel mm -hmm. of repentance. It's what Jesus preached. And so he's calling people to repent. He's calling them to change their life, to change their whole way of living. Uh, what we talked about last time on the podcast, to embrace his life yeah. and his death and to walk in the newness of life that he gives. And so uh, when we do that, we're able to be restored. We're, the image of God that was marred and broken is now restored uh, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel doesn't just confront us because it doesn't matter where we're at and what sins we try to hold to. The, the gospel has a way of um, of, of offending us yeah. <laughs> with every one of those things. I mean, the gospel is it, it is offensive when we hear it to any one of those things, those sins that I re read uh, that was listed there that Paul says in First Corinthians. But in all of those things, not only does the gospel have a way of cutting, but the gospel has a way of of of, of restoring. It has a way of of just like a surgeon that would make a cut that, that hurts, it's painful, but but there's a way that it is mended it, and bound it's up. It's mending and, and, and exactly. And so what we see then is God coming in the person of Christ to restore sinful, broken humanity back to himself. And, and then we see what it looks like. I mean, Paul takes time in Ephesians 5, you can read in 1 Corinthians, the way that he describes what it looks like as men and women uh, who are both made in the image of God with both distinct uh, roles and functions, but what it looks like for them to live a life flourishing in that relationship. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think we would do justice to the podcast if we don't take just a little bit of time and, and talk about what does it look like for men and women to flourish in the roles that God has given them. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that you're right on. And it's, it's looking at places like Ephesians, but it's also going back to Genesis. And like we had discussed in our last episode, what are some of the responsibilities, you know, like both exerting dominion over the earth, subduing the earth, filling the earth, um, which just on a like practical level, um, filling the earth is one of the responsibilities of why God created male and female to have sexual relations with one another um, in the covenant relationship of marriage. And you can't fill the earth without that peace. And God called us to fill the earth. And so that is one reason why that is such a core belief. But I, I think it goes back to this fact of like, you can flourish even no matter who you are, you can flourish in the gender God gave to you and the, uh, what he assigned to you at your birth, you can flourish in that. But in order to flourish in this world, we need to be healed by the grace of God. And we need to have that relationship with God so that we can flourish according to his grace and strength. And I think a lot of times we try and do that without that, or we try and do it without doing the responsibilities he's called us to, or we try and do it this way and it breaks down. And then we question and we say, well, I don't fit. And you're right. We don't always fit. And that's the point that God is trying to get across is that we need his grace. And yeah. part of living uh, in addition to grace is also the um, putting ourselves under his authority. Hmm. I mean, it's already his authority, but recognizing it, the way to flourish is to live under him mm -hmm. and what he said because what he said matters mm -hmm. 
And it makes me think of um, John one fourteen, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And Jesus yeah. represented what that looked yeah. like. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you, you see Jesus dealing with sin, but you see him in broken, like, humility and meeting people and mercy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just representative of the life of Christ. I mean, sinful, broken people, everyone that Jesus sees and touches, and yet he's relating to them from mercy. And we flourish yeah. in that way of relating to him, understanding yeah, his grace and understanding and believing his truth. Wow, that's mm-hmm. good. That's good. Yeah. What would you add to that? Well, and, and then in, in just submission to Christ's authority, we're no longer trying this power grab to have authority over one another that we were never meant to have, you know? And um, I just... even I think it's a part of the curse. I mean, when you think about yeah, oh, the rule, sure. desire to rule over him, and then you flip it on its head, and it's and, like, well, and there the is way, that. Yeah, that I, that I just, I keep getting this image in my head of the way that the curse totally messed things up. Was it, it just took our eyes completely off of the Lord and suddenly the only thing we had to look at was broken messed up one another and and how difficult is it to live in a world when your your natural tendency is to look at the other person in front of you who's just as equally messed up but wow. it flourishing in this I, I think um, I was trying to find a specific verse but it said so much throughout the gospel um, the, to flourish in life is to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord who he is, number one, and then how he chose to relate to us and how we are to relate to him. And that is, um, you know, through coming to him in faith, through the grace and and provision of Jesus' sacrifice for us, but also his perfect life lived. And that his desire is to constantly pour that out on us. And, um, you know, life lived to the full is lived growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. That's good. That's good. I think I'd just conclude it by saying this, that um, you know, we, we root all of this as the Bible roots it um, in God creating the world and in the image of God that has been given to mankind. And when we ultimately try to find our image apart from God in any other thing or in any other person, what we do is we embrace an identity that is not complete mm. and I think if a person is really honest and they find themselves in this place, they have to admit that there is just a crushing weight of what they're trying to achieve and know that they can't. And it doesn't matter how hard that they try. They, they find themselves coming up short and feeling the fulfillment of what they want to feel of what they want to experience. And I think with that is what the new Testament would talk about. And this, the sense of guilt and shame and consciousness, there, there is a sense of condemnation that when you center your life on anything else that you, you can't shake it Mm. and you find yourself just wrestling with it. And I think it's when you come to understand who Jesus is and what he has said about you and who he made you to be and the life that he wants you to live to the, the fullest, uh, fullness of, of experiencing him. When, when all of that happens, uh, then you can experience such freedom and flourishing in the design and the way that God has created us uh, to live uh, in the world that he's made.
Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, listen, if there's anything that we've talked about on the show today that you would like to know more about, we would love to connect with you. So find us on social media by searching Where We Land. Also, there's a really simple thing that you can do to help the Where We Land team, and that is if you have yet to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, you just take a little bit of your time to go and do just that and pass on this episode to someone else. And uh, we'll look forward to joining you here next time on the podcast. We'll see you then. Yeah.